pray that God will speak to us this morning. Pray that God speaks to each one of you. I know that you are each in such different seasons of life, facing different things in life, but our God is the same. That's what unites us, is that we worship this one true God, and I pray that he will speak to each one of our hearts this morning. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Juan. Thank you, Beto. Thank you, Angel. You all know Angel, but Beto and Juan are from Riverside, Kashkaj, and they came to rescue us this Sunday. We didn't have a worship team, and so they stepped in. Thank you so much for leading us in the presence of God and being used by the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning, we have our chairs back in the church, which is, let's give a round of applause for that. For those of you who are here for the first time today, this is normal for you, but we've been, uh, because of COVID restrictions, we've had way less chairs available and we had a limitation and now government has um, lifted many of this, uh, the restrictions, including that we can have a lot more people in here. So we're excited because for the first time during COVID, we had to, because of signups, um, send people away from coming to church. And it was the most bizarre thing that people wanted to come to church and we had to say, sorry, we're full. But now that, that's out the window. We're not full anymore. <laughs> you can come to church and we're excited about that. Um, but we've been going through this message series called River Deep. Who's enjoyed this message series? Who's, who's heard from God in this message series? A few of you, I hope. <laughs> Um, and so I'm going to close this series today. Somebody's ringing the bell. If somebody can grab that, that would be great. Thanks, Pedro. Um, that's a, a mom thing. We can't, we can't just distract. We can't just keep going. We're distracted by things. So, um, River Deep, we, we started with Ruben um, beginning this uh, message series, and he talked about going, no, Pedro began this message series, and he talked about going deeper in the presence of God. And then uh, Reuben took us in, in going deeper in our understanding, in our knowledge of the love of God for us. That if we could understand how much God loves us, that would bring us into a deeper relationship with him. And then last week, Dina preached. She preached for the first time, and he did a really good job, and we loved. I know that many of you gave us great feedback and gave him great feedback as well. And he took us into having a deeper awareness of the principalities at work in the world that there is an evil one, but also an acknowledgement that we are victorious in the gospel. And so when we understand this deeper reality, we can go into a deeper relationship with Christ as well. And this week, I, as I was thinking how to finish this series and, and what does it mean for me at this point to go deeper into a relationship with Jesus, I want to talk about going into a deeper experience of who God is. See, if, if God is who he says he is, then we should be experiencing an indescribable peace, an indescribable joy, an indescribable sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. If he is the God of the Bible that we say we believe, then we simply cannot live an average life with average goals, overcoming average challenges. No, going deeper with this God means that we live our lives according to the truths of the word of God, which translates into having a completely different perspective on reality. And so when a pandemic hits, we're not afraid. 
When we're giving a, a, a diagnosis, that is not the end. When our finances start to run low, we see multiplication. When conflict arises, we see opportunity because faith has to redefine the believer. Faith has to characterize the believer, and we can no longer see life for what it just is. We have to be transformed by faith. Well, today's message is called River Deep, Life-Changing Faith. Because that's the only kind of faith there is if you put it in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so what is faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 through 3 is kind of the dictionary of what faith is in the Bible. And this is what it says. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Could I ask somebody just to give me a glass of water? That would be really great. Thank you so much, Don. <clears throat> this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So by this scripture, we understand that faith is not just believing that God exists. Faith is a deep conviction that he exists, that he is able, and that there is more to the world than what we see with our eyes. Faith makes us look forward to a world beyond this one, the kingdom of God. And it's what Beth was saying that today as we worship, we're not just worshiping in this time and space, but we are colliding with heaven as the angels worship him. As the angels sing, holy, holy, holy are you. It is a collision between the future of eternity and the present now. Faith sees a world beyond what we can see. Thank you, Don. I'll take that. Give me two seconds. Faith sees more than what is visible to the eye. And so if life is more than what we see, then true faith has to drive our values. It has to influence our decision making. It has to, it has to change our actions to align with that belief. The way we live our lives has to reflect the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Brennan Manning said, the greatest cause of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. See, all too often, people profess their faith in God, but their lives are not any different than their non-Christian friends around them. If faith is not making you live differently, then I would question, you might have faith, but it's not in Jesus Christ. Faith has to change the way that you live because this is what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Can you say that? Nothing will be impossible for you. Because of who God is, being a Christian means no longer abiding by the natural law. It means no longer being limited by finite resources, no longer restricted by people's labels or thoughts about you. When you have faith in God, nothing will be impossible for you. It's quite an uh, out there concept for us to grasp, but nothing will be impossible for you. I want you to leave here today feeling motivated. 
I want you to leave this place today feeling like no matter what challenge is ahead of you, no matter what mountain is ahead of you, because of who God is, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I want you to feel incentivized and re-energized that with Christ, you can overcome everything. Because we are following a God that is able to do beyond what you have imagined. A couple weeks ago, Reuben spoke from this verse in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And then we read in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can we begin to grasp this incredible truth, this incredible promise that God can do, he is able to do beyond what you have imagined. That solution that you're trying to fix for your life, that, that outcome that you're trying to reach, God can do more. God can do more than that. God can do more than what you have imagined. You see, because God is supernatural. He's not superhuman. He's not like human and then a little bit better. No, God is supernatural. He is other than. He does, he's not just a different category. He supersedes all categories. He cannot fit into a box or a verbal description to characterize him completely. Supernatural means that he is beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. If you believe in the Bible... As a book containing literal truths, yes, it has symbolism, and yes, it has analogy that teaches us all kinds of truths about God. But if you believe that the Bible is also a historical reference with literal truths talking about true people, then think about this for a minute. The Bible says in Genesis that God created the universe and everything in it. Whether you believe in evolutionary creation or whether you believe in literal creationism that, that God created the world in seven day, six days and then he rested. The Bible says that he created something out of nothing. How incredible is that? We have no comparison to a God who created the world and everything in it. And then we go through the Old Testament and the Bible says... That he parts the Red Sea. Can you imagine? We can only see movies about this phenomenon. Jesus, or God parted the Red Sea. And then we read further in the Old Testament. It says that he kept Daniel alive in the lion's den. And then it says that he kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego alive in a fiery furnace. They were literally thrown into the fire. And the Bible says that when they walked out, you couldn't even smell smoke on their clothes. The Bible says that then God sent his son to the world and Jesus is born of a virgin. Now we all know how babies are made and this is not it. He is supernatural. And then this, this child, he grows up the son of God and he heals people whose sicknesses were literally death sentences. And then the Bible says that Lazarus had been dead for three days and Jesus goes and says, Lazarus, come out, and he raises him from the dead. And then the Bible says that Jesus multiplies some little boy's leftovers from the night before. 
into food that can feed over 5,000 people. And then the word says that he was crucified. And he was pierced to make sure that he was dead. He was buried. And three days later, he himself raises from the dead. Not even death has power over him. If you say that you believe the God of the Bible, then it has to change the way that you live. It has to. This faith has to transform the way that we encounter our lives. If this is the God that we say we believe. And at the same time, God does not only act supernaturally in this way that we are defining it. God is also in the natural. And I need to make this point because some people think that to live a faith-filled life means you're always filled with drama in your life. And you're making spontaneous decisions to move countries and to do all kinds of things. And, And people out there might think you're a little crazy. No, but I'm acting by faith because this is how God works. No, God also works in the natural The natural laws of physics were decreed by God. God's hand is all over your life. That which you can explain and that which you cannot. Today we live in a time where science has evolved and we can now find plausible explanations for many things that go on in the world. We have experts in genetics and climatology and geology and anthropology and biology and all the other ologies. (laughs) that can explain the cause and effect of the phenomenons and the things that we see in our world. And because of human development, we tend to make a distinction between that which we consider regular and predictable and the special or uniquely unpredictable. The problem is that once we designate some acts as special or supernatural, we imply that other events which can be explained by normal cause and effect are not the acts of God. And so, for example, we'll say, well, God's hand was definitely present when he created Adam from the dust, but somehow less present when you and I were conceived and born through a nine-month process. Or we'll say, well, God's hand was definitely present when Jesus turned the water into wine just instantaneously, but somehow less present when we were able to pick the grapes that were at the right time and we crushed them and we pressed them and we put them into a fermentation and aging process to make good wine. And by making this distinction, we end up distancing God from our everyday lives, suggesting that he only acts some of the time. And that's partly why so many people can't reconcile science and God. As if to say that the presence of science is the absence of God. But may I suggest to you today that God works in and through everything. No matter how much, plausible, no matter how much cause and effect that you and I can detect or describe. Science should not distance us from God. It should only pull us closer as we understand just a tiny bit more of his incredible genius and the artistry behind our universe. Psalm 111 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all those who delight in them. The more that we understand about our lives, the more that we understand about how our body works and how the stars are perfectly aligned and the perfect distance of the sun from the earth, the more that we understand this incredible genius, the more that we should fall to our knees and worship, glorifying God for all that he is. 
And so God is beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can explain, but he is also in everything that you can understand with your human limitation. Faith sees God's hand in everything. Faith sees God's hand in everything. From the moment you wake up to the moment that you put your head to sleep, you see God at work in your conversations with people, in your relationships with your family, in, in your job, in your promotion, even in the difficulty, faith sees God at work. So this morning, we're going to look at an episode in Matthew chapter 14. And just to give you a quick recap, the Bible says that the disciples found themselves out in the middle of the Galilean Sea in a boat. And it's the middle of the night, and Jesus was out praying in the mountainside. And because he's Jesus, he decides to meet up with them, but he doesn't, like, take a kayak or a paddleboard or anything like that. Jesus says, well, because there's no limitations to my deity, let me just walk on over to meet the disciples. And the Bible says that in the middle of the night, when they see Jesus walk on water, they think he's a ghost, except one disciple. His name is Peter. He says, Jesus, if that is you, then call me out that I may come to you and Jesus says yeah right fine come and he walks out the boat and he walks on water and there's more to the story and we're gonna go into it now in a little bit more detail and and if you've been here for maybe three months you'll probably have heard me preach about Peter I preach about Peter maybe every every quarter of the year <laughs> I promise that I read other parts of the Bible but talk about a man who is inspired a man who who experienced faith in so much depth, a man who was imperfect and human like you and I, and sometimes he was impulsive, and other times he was so reluctant. At times he was so right on the ball, and other times he absolutely fails and messes up. But talk about somebody who experienced going deeper in faith, going deeper in an experience of God's love and power. And so we're going to read from this story today, and may it inspire us. May it show us what God wants to do in our lives. So let me give you a context before we read a little bit of the story. It says that Jesus had come from a long day of feeding the 5,000. Now, it wasn't just 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So there was a whole lot of people there. And the Bible says in John chapter 6 that the crowd reacted to the power of Jesus with a rush of messianic expectation. Surely this is the one that we've been waiting for. I mean, he just turned this boy's lunchbox into food for all of us, and there's still 12 baskets of leftovers. This must be the one that we've been waiting for, and things start to get a bit heated. And the Bible says that Jesus is sensing that, that they're going to want to take him by force and make him king. And so Jesus says it's time to get out of here, and that's where our story begins in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. It's funny how the Bible just says these things like they're no big deal. Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Give me another couple seconds. All right, we'll stop there in the story. Did you notice how it says that Jesus made them get in the boat? I never realized that detail until this week. Jesus made them get in the boat. It wasn't their idea. It's not, it wasn't something that they asked to do. Jesus made them get in the boat, and everything was fine for a while, right? They were most, a lot of them were fishermen, and so we all have heard this before, that the boat is where their safe place was. They were comfortable in the boat. My sister's a nurse, and so um, her safe place is the hospital. For me, the hospital is my biggest nightmare, <laughs> There's only one good reason why you'd be at the hospital, and it's to have a baby. If you're not pregnant or married to somebody who's pregnant, then get out of there. It's not a good place. Or maybe it is because they're going to help you and all that. But it's not a safe place for me. But it is for my sister. And, and this boat was a safe place for the fishermen because it was an environment that they were used to, and they were familiar, and they were comfortable. And maybe God has placed you in some boats in your life. Maybe he's placed you in some boats that are comfortable. Maybe the job that you're in right now, maybe he gave you that job, and, and you're comfortable in that job. You're good at that job, and that job pays the bills. It's a safe position to be in. And maybe God has placed you in a nice church with nice music, with the occasional nice preacher. <laughs> not, you're, you're good too, Dina. <laughs> and you're comfortable in this church, and it's got nice seats, and there's ministries out there, but you, you're comfortable. Or maybe Jesus has put you in some boats of relationships or circumstances, or it's the paycheck that you get, or it's, it's the friendships that are around you, or it's the lifestyle that you've been accustomed to, and you're comfortable in that boat. And what happens is that we think because Jesus put me in this boat, then everything should be fine, right? I mean, he has my best interests in mind. That's what the Bible says. And the disciples are in the boat when the next thing, the wind starts to pick up. And what felt comfortable a moment ago is now starting to take a bit more effort. The waves are starting to push into them, and the storm is on its way. They are straining at the oars. They are rowing and going nowhere. They're starting to get tired and exhausted. And the Bible says the sun goes down, and it's the middle of the night, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Do you ever feel like you're rowing and going nowhere? That the job that once satisfied you now just doesn't anymore. That the relationships that were around you just are, are getting harder and you're straining and you're putting in the effort and you're arriving on time and you're, you're serving with excellence but you're rowing and, and you don't have a sense of purpose or satisfaction and you're going nowhere. And where is Jesus, by the way? I mean, if he put me in this situation, if he made me get into this boat, then he should be here. He knew that the winds would pick up. He knew of this diagnosis. He knew of my financial struggle. He knew of this job. He knew that this relationship would get hard. So where in the world is Jesus? David felt abandoned at one point, at several points. And I love that in the Bible we hear some of David's most honest and genuine and heartfelt prayers. And, and, and the Bible says that God sent a prophet named Samuel to go and anoint David and say, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Imagine, that's a boat I would want to get into. 
You're going to be the next king of Israel. And next thing, we're in Psalm chapter 142. And David is not king. He's actually in a cave in the middle of nowhere running for his life as Saul is out to get him. And David prays, when I look beside me, I see that there is no one here to help me. No one here to protect me. No one cares for me. He feels abandoned. He feels alone. And maybe you can relate to this prayer. Jesus, you, you made me come to this country. Jesus, you made me get into this job. Jesus, I know that this was your plan and I followed you. And now where are you? I'm rowing and I'm going nowhere. And where are you, Jesus? And wait a minute. I thought that the plans of God for my life were plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11, I made sure to memorize that one. God, you had plants that were supposed to be good for me. Why is the wind picking up? Why does it feel like I'm headed for a storm of conflict and trouble and sickness? Feels like I'm losing control. Could it be that sometimes God's plans for us include the storms of life? Could it be that God allowed and intended the challenge you are facing as a means to bring you deeper into a relationship with him? Could it be that although Jesus might not be in your boat, he's out there on the waves calling you for something greater? The Bible says in James 1 verse 2 to 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, a trial, it, it disrupts our plans. It often creates a moment where we are at a loss, where there is no human calculation that can guarantee the future. There, there's no money that can, buy, that can buy us a way out. There's no medicine that we can buy. There's no human effort that can resolve the issue. At times, a trial confronts us with the unknown and the impossible, a moment where you and I have lost control. And so James says, consider a joy when you face these moments. Consider it a joy when you face a trial because it is an opportunity for you to check your heart to see how you respond, and to put your trust back in God. The goal is that you may deepen your faith. Why? Because a Christian's growing faith in God is evidence of a growing relationship with him. And can we go a step further this morning? Could it be that the trial you are facing might just be the best thing that's ever happened to you? See, fast forward a few verses in the same water that terrified the disciples. The same water that threatened their lives is the water that brought Peter one of the most incredible moments in the presence of Jesus. I can imagine Peter told this story for the rest of his life. He literally walked on water. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And I love Peter's audacity. If that was really Jesus, then Peter wanted to be where Jesus was. He wanted to go beyond an awareness and a knowledge of his presence to a deeper experience of his power. He didn't want just Jesus to quiet the waves. He wanted to walk on them. And I wonder if we have the same audacity. We hear that Jesus is able and, and we see him act in miraculous ways in other people's lives. But when we find ourselves in a trial, we can't seem to get out of the boat. No, 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 Gabby, but you don't understand. I'm in the boat because Jesus made me get in this boat. 
I'm in this job because Jesus gave me this job. I'm, I'm in this relationship because I know that Jesus put me in this relationship. I'm in this house with this lifestyle because Jesus provided it for me. And we're like the other disciples clinging to what's left of what we can control. Meanwhile, Jesus is out on the water calling you to something new. See, some boats are not forever. The same Jesus that made you get in is the Jesus that might be calling you out to something different, to something new. Are you holding on so tight to the boat that you are missing God altogether? What is keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves? Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came towards Jesus. And I love that the story doesn't end here. Because maybe if the, if the story ended here, then, then Peter would look super heroic. And they lived happily ever after. JD has just, my daughter, she's two years old. She's just started to like stories. And so um, I really enjoy telling her stories. And I always make sure that it ends on a high. And they lived happily ever after. It has to end that way. And her eyes are fixed on me. And I was sharing with some friends that the other day we were reading Bible stories before she went to bed and talking about Jesus and the different episodes. And then um, it was night-night time, and so I turn off the lights, give her her bottle, and when it's dark, I also tell her stories, and it's at her request, and she wanted the crocodile story. So here I am making, a, making up a story about a crocodile, and I'd gone to the dentist that day, so how the crocodile broke his tooth, but he went to the dentist, and next thing she interrupts me with a lot of enthusiasm and says, and then the crocodile bit Jesus. <laughs> which was a bit of a plot twist there. So I had to somehow rework the story to make sure that they ended happily ever after the crocodile and Jesus best friends forever. But the story does not end here. We read on. It says in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. See, Peter has faith to step out of the boat. He wants to be where Jesus is, and step by step, he experiences what he could have never imagined was possible beyond his imagination. He's standing on water. But then we read that Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts acknowledging the storm and he starts surrendering his focus to the circumstance instead of to the power of God. And as fear takes the place of faith, he begins to sink. See, Peter is literally experiencing the faithfulness of God and questioning it at the same time. Isn't it amazing how we do that? God is faithful to give us the air that is in our lungs, to give you the heartbeat that is keeping you alive. And yet, despite walking in his faithfulness, we question it. Yes, God is faithful so far. Yes, God, I'm breathing and I'm alive and I'm healthy. But, but what if this next step? What if I take that job and I regret it? What if I mess up? What if people think badly of me? What if I'm not good enough? And we, we're, we have a whole list of what ifs. And the what-ifs start taking the place of our faith. And the fear starts taking the place of our faith and the promises of God. We experience his faithfulness and question it at the same time. And so Peter fails. He starts to sink. 
But man, who doesn't? Who has perfect faith all day, every day? I don't. Maybe you do, but I know I don't. We all lose our focus on Jesus at times. We all have moments of unbelief. We all go through times where Jesus has to reach down and rescue us. In the little faith that we have left when we cry out to him, Jesus, help me. And here's the thing. This is not a story about Peter. If all we see is Peter, then we've missed the point. How, how Peter walks on water and step, how Peter steps out of the boat, how he walks on water, how Peter begins to sink. No, this is a story about Jesus. This is a story about Jesus walking on water, about Jesus calling Peter out, about Jesus rescuing Peter. Even as he is lifting him up and rebuking him, he is encouraging him towards faith. See, this message today is not about, it's not about being a better Christian, about faith in our Christian ability to stay focused on Jesus and not be distracted by anything. No, this is a message that encourages you to have faith in a Jesus that will continue to rescue you. Even when you fail. Even when you take that step, but then you doubt. This is a story about a Jesus whose faithfulness is bigger than our failure. He will continue to rescue the Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 14, He helps those who are in trouble. He lifts those who have fallen. Our God is so faithful. He is so good. He is so big. He is so able. And He is so patient. That even when you step out the boat and you have faith in Him, but the worries of life come in the way and you cry out to Him, He will rescue you. Come, come back in the boat with me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close this message. And as we go into a time of worship, then I want us to think of who God is firstly. Who is the God that you believe this morning? Is he a God that has fixed himself in a box that you have created for him? Is he a God that is comparable to you is he a God that is human but just a little bit better and he acts some of the time? Or is he a God that is beyond what we can imagine? Is he the God of the Bible? And as you acknowledge who God is to you and who it is that you believe this morning, then I want you to think about, is faith transforming the way that you live? Is faith redefining you? Is faith influencing your choices, your decisions? Is faith influencing your dreams? Because if, if this is the God of the Bible that you believe, then you can't just dream small. We have to dream big because our God is able. We have to dream big and understand that he can do even bigger. Is faith transforming your life? And lastly, is Jesus calling you out on the waves? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But is he in your life? Has he been calling you to do something that you've just been too afraid to do? Because what if? Has Jesus been speaking to your heart even in this message? Is there something that, that keeps nudging at your heart that you need to do? Some, somebody that you need to speak to? Some job that you need to consider? Some decision that you need to, to really ponder? Is Jesus calling you out on the waves?
And if so, what is keeping you from joining him? If it's fear, then the Bible says that in his love, there is no space for fear. And as faith comes in, fear has to go out. The Bible says that when Jesus rescues Peter, that he picks him up and, and they go back to the boat and the other disciples fall to their knees and for the first time they worship Jesus as the Son of God. See, it's not about us. At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about you taking that step and then if you're gonna fail, yes, God has a unique relationship with you, but maybe it's in your failure and in the faithfulness of God that others will bow to their knee and worship him. Surely, that is the son of God. Surely, you are, you are believing and following a God who is beyond what we understand. It says that they fell to their knees and they worshiped him as the son of God. Don't let fear drive your life. Take a step of faith knowing that if you fail and when you fail, Jesus will rescue you. And in his faithfulness, your testimony will speak volumes to the world. You will be a witness of his love and his power. I would invite you to stand this morning. Let's think of who God is. Let's hear his call in our lives. Let's think about how faith is influencing or not our everyday. Let's put our trust back in him and answer to his call this morning.